Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. To Mitchell Street this week on Urban Spelunking, right around 7th and Mitchell, Bobby, talking about the former Park Theater and a satellite location of Biltright Furniture that was there for several years. Uh, but this theater, Bobby, I just going through the history, I could not believe some of the wacky stories that came out of this theater. I know, it's crazy. I mean, that's why I love these stories about movie theaters, especially the ones that go back to the vaudeville era like this one does, because there's so many, um, just so many interesting stories that crop up when a place is open for that long and has that kind of like public face and also that connection to the entertainment industry. Well, the Park Theater had this vaudeville era like you mentioned mm-hmm. it had a movie theater era there were there were fires there were bomb threats there was this like union rivalry we're going to get into that during this story but just re- give us the quick hits here when was this built and when did it open and, and 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 what was it like when it opened okay so there were two buildings that are sort of separate but connected sort of always owned by the same people built in the 1890s the shorter of the two was converted to a theater uh 1906 and then in 1907 a There was a three-alarm fire that broke out in the rooms uh, above and behind the theater. So like the theater, like any theater, like just picture the downer. You know, you'd come in, there was a lobby, and then you would go into the theater. And up above in the back, there were these rooms where the vaudeville performers would stay because many of them came from out of town. There was a vaudeville circuit around the country, and these performers of all different kinds, comedians and singers and and, uh, people who do skits and things like that, they would travel from place to place. So it sounds a little circus-like. It seemed very so. You can imagine what the <laughs> what the vibe must have been like in these yeah. like, sort of communal sort of spaces where these people lived. You know, but and they lived they lived at the theater, which is really interesting. Like at the place where they're performing, almost like dorms. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so in 1907, there was a gasoline stove that was used for cooking in these rooms, and it was believed to have exploded, and it, um, it caused a huge fire in those rooms, but also there's a back staircase that connects to the three-story building next door, which has always pretty much always been a furniture store, um, and it set mattresses on fire. There's a lot of damage in the building next door because there's so much stuff there that could burn. Okay, so number one, gasoline stove. Yeah. I, would, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm, that with diesel flavoring. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Yummy. Um, so did, was this a devastating fire? Like, the, the building survived? Did people die, or was this... Uh, they made it out? Yeah, they thought the two women had, had died, but it turned out they had made it out. So uh, okay. nobody appears, it didn't seem like there was any, there were no reports of people dying and even of injuries. Um, and the buildings survived. Um, they basically just fixed up and moved on, you know. Um, and the theater continued, although soon after it did go up for sale, it sort of changed hands a lot, so it doesn't really pay to get into who owned it when, although we'd be here all day. And you actually found some of those those newspaper listings when the theater was for sale and, and people, uh, the owner is seeking a business partner. What was the wording The wording exactly? A partner in a, a hustle or? A good hustling partner wanted. <laughs> it said, I have a chance to make money. <laughs> Nothing shady sounding about that at all, right? No, it didn't sound shady at all. all right. um, and then there was another one when they were seeking um, an illustrated song singer, which were these people in the vaudeville era that would uh, a piano player would play and they would project some slides on the screen and a singer would, uh, and the slides would sort of illustrate the song that the singer was singing. Um, and they were, so one of them was looking for an illustrated song singer. It said, man preferred, no boozer. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that tells you kind of who they expected might want to respond to that. <laughs> so that was the, that was uh, the vaudeville business back then. Uh, what was it like when it became a theater? Because there was a, a whole other chapter of the building after vaudeville. Oh, yeah. And I should say that, well, and early on, I think they were showing um, movies as well as having vaudeville stuff. They were showing silent movies, too, because you see it referred to as a Nickelodeon, which was a nickel movie theater. Um, so even early on, they were doing that. But um, there's a great uh, news report. Uh, in 1909, there's a guy who worked there named Anton Tardik, and he was uh, ticketed for, his, uh, for making too much noise because he was a barker which another sort of circus-like thing, right? He's a guy who would stand outside the theater, uh, you know, tell me, step right up, step right up, come see our show. You know, he was like that kind of guy. Wow, that's, um, that is so fun so, to picture that. And there's actually a picture in the story of somebody in that position, right? Yeah, well, there's somebody standing out there, so you got to kind of wonder, is that is that Anton? Is that a different Barker? Is that, it, you can't really tell. Well, we're going to pick it up there next on Urban Spelunking. Uh, we mentioned bomb threats and this this union rivalry. We're going to talk about that in the next section, plus the connection to built right furniture in this very same collection of buildings coming up on part two of Urban Spelunking next. Maybe you can't get comfy pajamas for your whole block or bake cookies for the entire neighborhood, but you can give the community a gift this holiday season. When you donate to Radio Milwaukee, you provide connection, culture, and important local resources for thousands of listeners. You can bring neighbors closer through music and stories with a gift today. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org and click the orange heart to give. And we are back on Mitchell Street on Urban Spelunking at the at the former Park Theater, which was also, this building was also home to a, another location for Built Right Furniture way back when. We'll talk about that next, but let's get into the story here about uh, about these bomb threats and this this projectionist union that had quite the, the clash. What was the time period that we're talking about here? This is 1930, and um, okay. the park was one of uh, a bunch of theaters, like 50 theaters that had... Um, stink bombs set off like basically just these like explosives <laughs> wow. that would go off and it would just smell really bad like the one newspaper referred to them as tear gas bombs also so they were just unpleasant i don't think they were the kind of thing that would injure people but um but they were extremely unpleasant so um one of these went off in in 1930 at the park and um and over the next two years they went off at like 50 theaters around the town and initially they thought that they were going off because they had something to do with the fact that um, a group of projectionists split away from the projectionists' union and formed their own independent union. Um, so there was a sort of battle going on for control of theaters between these two unions. Um, but then it turned out later on, in 1932, they arrested two teenagers who had set off um, at least some of these stink bombs and they had made them, and they admitted wow. to it. They admitted to it. They, they just did it okay. for fun, and that they had right. they had made the bombs using chemistry skills they learned at Tech High School. <laughs> wow. So okay, so much so, so a lot from the called, chemistry uh, education right? at Tech High School, right? So there was this this ring of of teenagers that were setting off stink bombs at all these theaters around Milwaukee. Um, there was also this union dispute going on and this rivalry. So that it was. People thought it was this union, but it was actually these teenagers? Well, yeah, but the thing is, the teens didn't 
admit to all of them. They admitted to oh, some of okay. them. So, so it is possible that the Union War was kind of behind um, some of the others. And then what the sort of culminated in uh, 1932 at the Parkway Theater on 35th and Lisbon, which is no longer there anymore, um, when somebody actually lit off a dynamite bomb that, wow, okay. that injured six people. And that's a whole different thing than, right. a, stink, than a stink bomb, right? I mean, a stink bomb is basically a, a firework, <laughs> you know, a, a dynamite bomb that injures six people is a whole different thing. And, and I don't know that they ever figured out who did that, but I think that was sort of more commonly believed at that point than to be related to this union thing. Um, but then that sort of ends up fading away. In the 50s, the union kind of comes back to the Park Theater because what happens is a new guy takes over the theater. It, the theater closed in June. This guy took it over after that. Um, and he said he was running it on a shoestring and was taking in very little money. So he decided he wasn't going to pay his projectionists because he thought the union rates were way too high. So the projectionists walked out because they weren't getting paid. Um, and the union decides to picket the theater. So they have a bunch of guys go out in front of the theater and walk back and forth with signs, you know, saying they're picketing this theater. Yes, a proper, um, proper picket. Proper picket, you know. And... Um, the guy, so then the guy ends up shutting the theater, like just after that. Okay. September. Um, and he said he didn't claim, he, he claimed he didn't shut it because of the union action, you know, of the picketing, but, uh, but rather, quote unquote, other adversities, um, you know, including things like he couldn't afford to pay the rent. Um, that's the, an adversity. That's yeah. an adversity. Uh, he, <laughs> he got a film delivered that was in poor condition, so presumably he couldn't show it. So he was, had no film to show. Uh, he said there were a series of demands from the health department saying he had to paint the theater auditorium and that he had to also paint the lobby because some quote-unquote high-spirited children threw ink on the lobby walls. Um, plus, he still owed the money to the projectionists. He still hadn't paid them for the work they did. So anyway, he shuts down, says he's going to get back in the theater business, but probably somewhere else, assuming he burned his bridges at the, <laughs> at the park by not being able to pay the rent, you know. Um, but he said that it, when he gets a new theater, he's going he's gonna to run it himself. He's going to run the projector himself. He said, the union won't stop me. But the union promised, of course, to pick at any theater at which he uh, showed his own movies. So this basically is the end. It seems like at this point, all of the ads for the park dry up. There's no more references to it. Um, and what so, year are we talking here? So this is uh, September of 1953. And at okay. that point, it just becomes sort of a retail space that gets sort of absorbed into the furniture business. So these buildings were always connected, right? The the theater and the furniture store next door. Yeah, they were sort of and, separate and when, buildings, but they were connected at the back and they were appear to have always been owned by the same people. Okay, so when the theater closes, the furniture store expands. And this is Built Right Furniture, which is still around today and started in downtown Milwaukee and was, uh, like a lot of retailers, that it, it had a presence on Mitchell Street because Mitchell Street was a, a, like the second only to downtown in terms of a place, a destination for shoppers Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at a certain time. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, every neighborhood had a shopping street. You think of Fleet Street, you know, King Drive. I mean, there's all sorts of stretches where you can see that there was a lot of retail going on. Walnut Street, all kinds of stuff. But... Mitchell Street was, as you say, the second biggest shopping district in the city. And so loads of downtown businesses um, would open second locations in um, on Mitchell Street because they really kind of wanted to capture that whole... I mean, that's why 
you have a Schuster's on Mitchell Street. There was a Gimbel's on Mitchell Street. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all of these things. Plus, you know, smaller stores would open there, too. So, um, so like a Biltright opened on 3rd and Garfield on what's now King Drive um, in 1928. And then in the late 40s, they opened their Mitchell Street location, which ultimately the the 3rd and Garfield closes. And for a long time, the Biltright on Mitchell was the only Biltright. Well, I know this building was back in the news. I saw that there was a Biltright sign that was uncovered recently. Yeah, back in March, um, late last year, an artist named Shane McAdams, who owns a gallery down the street on Mitchell, bought the buildings. And um, the buildings came in, came up during a Historic Preservation Commission meeting, and uh, somebody there suggested, you know, there used to be that really cool Art Modern Biltright facade that's been covered over by these steel panels, it'd be interesting to see if those are still there. You know, so there was speculation, you know, would they be there, would they not be there? Um, And somebody at the meeting said, oh, I I doubt that they're there. Um, And so a couple of media outlets around town wrote about this. Um, And then just before Thanksgiving, uh, McAdams had a crew come and they took the panels off, took a couple of days to get the, the panels off. And lo and behold, this beautiful pink and sort of seafoam green built right facade was actually there. And was the seafoam green kind of this mid-century? Was this part of the time? Yeah, it was definitely like a mid-century modern kind of late art deco yeah. vibe. And if you look at it, it definitely has a color combination that immediately takes me to Miami Beach. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, <laughs> you know, yeah. I have all those art deco buildings along the waterfront there. Uh-huh. Um, so... This thing was uncovered, but unfortunately, within like a week, it had to be taken down because it was in bad shape. And the the panels that were there were made out of this uh, stuff called vitrolite, which is a kind of glass. So you don't you don't want pieces of these falling off, you know, down to the sidewalk below. <clears throat> Excuse me. What does that What does that mean for the the signs next chapter? Then, if it was uncovered, is it, it's not salvageable? Yeah. So then. Uh, Recently, like I said, about a week after they uncovered it, they had to take the entire facade down, so it is now gone. So, (laughs) unfortunately, it was found. How exciting. Um, But then soon after, it is now actually gone. Although um, the owner says he's going to recreate it, and he's going to do his best to make it as close to possible um, as he can uh, as the original. Complete with all that mid-century colors, like the avocado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then he's going to, you know, the the buildings he's going to convert into um, some of it's going to be loft space. Um, And then he's he's sort of weighing the possibility of making it either all apartments or all artist studios or some apartments, some artist studios. He's kind of figuring that out. And um, when he starts doing the renovation work next year and he pulls out the drop ceiling and these uh, plywood panels that are up on the side walls uh on the inside walls of the theater he's gonna invite me back to see if there's anything that remains of the theater underneath so we'll see so just to clarify work is underway right now for residential and, and artist use so what's the timeline well it hasn't started yet it's, okay he's, he's still trying to kind of weigh the benefits of doing one versus the other like the cost cost and benefits of so he's not sure yet if it's going to be artist studios or residential or a little bit of both. I got to imagine it's really difficult to make these decisions right now when you don't know what's going on in the world and what what the future is going to hold. Uh, 
but you see you see projects moving forward all over the city and and, and uh, construction underway. So yeah, let's hope he can do it. He also wants to do a coffee shop on the first floor of where, where the movie theater was. So that would be nice. Cool. Well, what an interesting what an interesting just chapter of Milwaukee history that we uncovered in this building. Again, proving our beyond a theory, our our ultimate truth that we that we know is true, Bobby, that every Milwaukee building holds a story. Yeah, I still, you know, I don't know how many years I've been doing this now, probably close to 10, and I still can't remember going to a place and just being like, there's no story here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I still can't remember. That hasn't happened yet. Well, as always, great pictures in the complete story at onmilwaukee.com. And you found, as we mentioned, some of those newspaper clippings that really give you a sense for the era and what it was like running a, a vaudeville theater during the uh, early 1900s. Well, podcasts on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from your membership and from onmilwaukee.com. You can subscribe to this podcast and all of 88.9's podcasts at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts. And we definitely would love you to go to onmilwaukee.com and read Bobby's complete story. And keep an eye out. He, he posts those stories there. You can always, you can kind of keep an eye on both. Get the podcasts and find those pictures every week from On Milwaukee and from 88.9. They make a great set, don't they? They do. They, they, they <laughs> hand in glove. It's a beautiful thing. Well, Bobby, talk to you next week. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.